Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. While I was working on that six impossible episodes about prison breaks that we had recently, I of course found a few topics that seemed like they could stand on their own as full episodes. One of them was John Shepard, more commonly known as Jack Shepard, who became kind of a serial breakout artist (laughs) in 18th century England. And I have a caveat with this episode. There are a bunch of books about Shepard's life. A lot of them were published right around the time that he died. One of the most well-known of those is The History of the Remarkable Life of John Shepard, and it's often credited to Daniel Defoe. Another one is a narrative of all the robberies, escapes, etc. of John Shepard, giving an exact description of the manner of his wonderful escape from the castle in Newgate and of the methods he took afterward for his security, written by himself. As that written by himself suggests, it is purportedly Shepard's own autobiography written from prison just days before his execution, and also responding to some of the details that were in that first book that I mentioned. The thing is, this book is also often credited to Daniel Defoe. Uh, Another of the books is Authentic Memoirs of the Life and Surprising Adventures of John Shepard, who was executed at Tyburn, November the 16th, 1724. 
by way of familiar letters from a gentleman in town to his friend and correspondent in the country. This is published just under the initials GE. GE is the gentleman in town writing these letters, and some of the letters are purportedly also by Shepard. <laughs> if it's not clear, there's question marks around all of this about, like, who really wrote these and other works and how accurate they are, how much of those sources agree with each other because they're correct, or whether it's more just because their various authors were all lifting information from one another. Some of Daniel Defoe's purportedly historical work has come up on the show before. We've <laughs> talked about how some of it's definitely exaggerated at best. What we do know, though, is Jack Shepard was for sure a real person, and he had two rounds of fame, the second one happening more than a century after his death. Uh, also, heads up, although Jack Shepard was mostly a thief and kind of a folk hero or maybe an anti-hero, there's also a lot of execution and some murder in this episode. Jack Shepard was born March 4th, 1702 in White Row, Spitalfields, London. His father, Thomas, was a carpenter. Thomas apparently came from a long line of carpenters, and he had a reputation as a hard worker and being good at his trade. But he died at a young age, leaving his wife Mary to raise their three surviving children. That was Jack, his brother Thomas, and their sister Mary. For a time, Jack and Thomas went to Mr. Garrett's school, which in some accounts was really a workhouse. Jack started working as a servant when he was 12 years old or so. He worked for a woolen draper named William Kneebone, which is a great name. Kneebone was reportedly a kind man and helped Jack improve his reading, writing, and arithmetic. On April 12th, 1717, when he was 15, Jack started an apprenticeship with a carpenter named Owen Wood. Of course he was a carpenter. His name was Owen Wood. And he seems to have taken after his father, for the first few years at least. Jack was described as a very good apprentice. It's also possible that his brother Thomas was one of Wood's apprentices, although some accounts describe Thomas as a fellow apprentice, but not as Jack's actual brother. Yeah, it's a little vague. And then about five years into Jack's apprenticeship, things changed. Wood had a next-door neighbor named Joseph Hind, or possibly Hain, who had been a button mold maker. And Hind decided to give up his trade and instead take over the running of the Black Lion Alehouse, which was not far away. And he started encouraging all the local apprentices to come spend their free time and days off there. This alehouse was where 20-year-old Jack was introduced to, quote, a train of vices as before I was altogether a stranger to. He was also introduced to a woman named Elizabeth Lyon, also known as Edgeworth Bess, because she'd been born in Edgeworth. Elizabeth was a sex worker, and in 1721 she had been convicted of stealing a piece of silk and five yards of cambric, and her hand had been branded as a punishment. Numerous accounts describe Elizabeth as seducing Jack into a life of crime. Although lots of accounts try to make Elizabeth responsible for Jack's decisions, in works purportedly by him, he also places the blame on various other people in his life. Yeah, none of them really suggest very strongly that he was a grown man <laughs> and should be responsible for his own actions. 
there's also a little bit of contradiction in how different Jack's behavior really was after he started frequenting the Black Lion alehouse. He either had been a totally upstanding apprentice, skilled in his work and well on his way to becoming a carpenter with his own shop, at least before he fell into ruin, or he had always had, quote, evil inclinations. And when the Wood family was at church on Sundays, he stayed behind and just got up to whatever he felt like doing. It seems like his actual crimes started in 1723 when he was 21. Elizabeth stole someone's ring, and Jack broke her out of the local roundhouse. This was basically a small, single-room jail, often round, as the name suggests, sometimes freestanding and sometimes built into a wall. In the 18th and early 19th centuries, smaller communities often used roundhouses as an overnight holding cell for people who were caught doing some kind of mischief or crime so they could be taken to town in the morning. Shepard also started stealing from the jobs that Owen Wood had sent him on, starting with stealing two silver spoons from the Rummer Tavern. For a while, he was keeping up his apprenticeship while also pilfering money or small items from his job sites. And he justified it by saying that Wood wasn't paying him enough money to survive. And generally, he seems to have been pretty critical of how Wood was running his business. Wood was mostly doing lots of small repairs and projects at people's existing homes and businesses, and Shepard thought he would be making a lot more money if he moved into doing new construction. Then, with less than a year to go on his apprenticeship, Shepard left, turning his attention to thieving full-time. By February of 1724, he had established a small criminal operation involving himself, his brother Thomas, and Elizabeth Lyon, with Jack and Elizabeth living together as husband and wife, even though she was reportedly already married to someone else. Jack also got into a little bit of fraud by claiming that he had already finished that apprenticeship to Owen Wood, and he did that so he could get a job as a journeyman to a master carpenter. He used that job as a way to case houses so that he could rob the homes where he worked. According to Shepard's purported autobiography, he spent the night in every roundhouse in the city and liberty of Westminster, and Elizabeth Lyon spent a night in most of them, too. He had mostly managed to escape or to talk them both out of trouble, but eventually Thomas got caught, and when questioned, Thomas implicated Jack in a string of thefts. After this, Shepard was captured and held in St. Giles's Roundhouse in central London. This led to the first escape that most accounts describe in detail. Shepard hadn't been searched very well before being locked in, and he had an old razor. He used the razor to cut one of the supports from a chair and then used that support to work a hole through the roof. He put the roundhouse's feather bed under the spot where he was working to muffle the sound of debris as it fell. That worked until he started to break through to the outside and a roof tile slid down the outside of the building and hit a passerby. Shepard forced his way through the hole and ran. Yeah, he was like, enough of this trying to be somewhat discreet. I'm just going to force my way out through the rest of this. (laughs) Not long after that, Jack and Elizabeth were both arrested and this time they were taken to New Prison in Clerkenwell, also in central London. And they were placed in what was supposed to be the strongest ward in the prison. They were in a cell together because they were believed to be husband and wife. But Shepard had suggested to authorities that he was going to implicate some of his various accomplices, 
So he was being treated fairly leniently in this supposedly secure ward, and he was allowed to have visitors. One of these visitors smuggled in a saw, and Shepard used it to saw through his restraints and to dismantle a barred window. He and Elizabeth then escaped by climbing down a rope they had made from bedsheets and Elizabeth's dress. We're going to talk some more about Jack and Elizabeth after we pause for a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands in over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Thank you. 
After Jack Shepard and Elizabeth Lyon escaped from New Prison, they went back to thieving. They broke into houses. They held up coaches on the highway. Shepard also found another accomplice, a man named Joseph Blake, also known as Blueskin. And in mid-June of 1724, Shepard and Blake robbed the home of Shepard's former employer, William Kneebone. They stole 108 yards of woolen cloth and some other items. By this point, Shepard had caught the attention of a man named Jonathan Wild. Wild maintained a whole network of thieves, burglars, and others who made their living through crime. And he also worked as a thief-taker, apprehending suspects and handing them over to authorities. He used this thief-taking to keep his criminal network in line. For example, he would demand that he get a cut of someone's haul, and if they refused, Wild would just turn them in. Yeah, working for a crime boss who's threatening to hand you over to the police is a whole thing. Wilde apparently wanted Shepard to become part of this network, or possibly Shepard had been part of it and had decided to strike out on his own. Whatever the background on that, Shepard refused to cooperate with Wilde, and Wilde had him arrested. In some accounts, Lyon betrayed Shepard to Wilde in the lead-up to this arrest, which was on July 23rd. This time, Shepard was jailed in Newgate Prison in London, and he stood trial at the Central Criminal Court, also called the Old Bailey, on August 12, 1724. Shepard was tried for three crimes. Two of them involved stealing diverse goods from the homes of William Phillips and Mary Cook in two separate incidents from the previous February. There wasn't enough evidence against him for either of those two crimes, and he was acquitted. But the third was for breaking into the home of William Kneebone and stealing that 108 yards of woolen cloth. This time, Shepard was convicted and he was sentenced to death. As a note, the Old Bailey records of this list Shepard's first name as Joseph. But later on, when Joseph Blake stood trial for his participation in that same crime, the records list Shepard's first name as John. Shepard was returned to Newgate Prison and placed in the hold for condemned prisoners. And on August 31st, four days before his execution was supposed to take place, he sawed through one of the iron spikes in the space above a door, squeezing between the remaining spikes to make his way out. That saw apparently came from someone named Mr. Davis. Shepard sneaked to the prison's reception area where he was met by Elizabeth Lyon and another woman, and they disguised him in a nightgown and they led him out of the prison. In what was really not the smartest move, Shepard then spent a stretch of time in London's Clare Market, less than a mile away from the prison, disguised as a butcher. As Shepard was hiding out in the market, Jonathan Wilde arrested Elizabeth Lyon. Eventually, with Lyons still in custody, Shepard left London, but then he came back. He was captured again on September 10th as he was getting out of the coach that had brought him back to the city. By this point, news of Shepard's crimes and arrests and escapes had spread, and he had become kind of a folk hero. 
In the words of the history of the remarkable life of John Shepard, attributed to Daniel Defoe, quote, his escape and his being so suddenly retaken made such a noise in the town that it was thought all the common people would have gone mad about him, there being not a porter to be had for love nor money, nor getting into an alehouse for butchers, shoemakers, and barbers, all engaged in controversies and wagers about Shepard. Newgate, night and day, surrounded with the curious from St. Giles's and Ragfair, and Tyburn Road daily lined with women and children, and the gallows as carefully watched by night, lest he should be hanged in cog. Shepard made another appearance at the Old Bailey, this time to prove that the man who had been captured was indeed the same Jack Shepard who had previously escaped. Once that was taken care of, he was returned to the condemned hold in Newgate Prison. Unsurprisingly, he started planning to escape again. On September 16th, guards found a tool set hidden in a chair in the condemned hold and a watchmaker's file concealed in a Bible. Shepard was moved from the condemned hold to a more secure apartment known as the Castle that was on the prison's fourth floor. He was kept under guard with his legs in shackles that were attached to a staple in the floor with an enormous padlock. I mean, there's illustrations of this, and of course they are for books that people were supposed to buy, so there's an element of them that is meant to be entertaining, but this padlock is illustrated as, like, as big as his head. It's huge. And then one day, Shepard found a nail on the floor. He used it to pick the padlock, and this left him free to move around the room. He tried to escape by going up the chimney, but he found that there was an iron bar across the opening there to prevent somebody from doing that exact thing. A guard surprised him before he had a chance to get back to where he was and put the padlock back the way it had been. And boy, that guard was chagrined when Shepard showed him how easy it was for him to pick that lock. The guards then added handcuffs to Shepard's restraints and they took the nail away. As all of that was going on, Joseph Blake, a.k.a. Blueskin, was captured and tried. And he also attempted to murder Jonathan Wilde by slitting his throat after he had asked Wilde to put in a good word for him, and Wilde refused. Wilde survived this assault thanks to having some muslin braided around his neck and the prompt attention of nearby surgeons. Blake was sentenced to death for the crime. Back in the castle on the prison's fourth floor, Shepard escaped again. On October 15th, the guards brought his evening meal. Everything seemed normal to them, but then in the morning, they found the door blocked from the inside by a pile of random bricks, and once they shoved past them, they found that Shepard was gone. Again, in the words of the history of the remarkable life of John Shepard, quote, The whole posse of the prison ran up and stood like men deprived of their senses. Their surprise being over, they were in hopes that he might not have yet entirely made his escape and got their keys to open all the strong rooms adjacent to the castle in order to trace him, when to their farther amazement they found the door ready open to their hands and the strong locks, screws, and bolts broken in pieces and scattered about the jail. Six great doors, one whereof having not been opened for several years past, were forced, and it appeared that he had descended from the leads of Newgate by a blanket, which he had fastened to the wall by an iron spike he had taken from the hatch of the chapel on the house of Mr. Bird, and the door on the leads having been left open, it is very reasonable to conclude he passed directly to the street door down the stairs." 
Mr. Bird and his wife hearing an odd sort of a noise on the stairs as they lay in their bed a short time before the watchman alarmed the family. So apparently Shepard had managed to twist apart the chain connecting his handcuffs. And then somehow he'd gotten his hands on another nail and picked the lock holding his leg shackles to the floor, pulled out that iron bar that had previously kept him from climbing up the chimney and took it with him so that he could force open all the locks between him and the outside. He came out through the Red Room, which was a cell where aristocrats were held, and that was empty at the time. Quote, he undoubtedly performed most of these wonders in the darkest part of the night and without the least glimpse of a candle, a word he has actually done with his own hands in a few hours, what several of the most skillful artists allow could not have been acted by a number of persons furnished with proper implements and all other advantages in a full day. So once Shepard got to the prison roof, he realized he didn't have a way to get down. So he went back to the castle to get a blanket. And once he'd made his way through the home of Mr. Bird, he went to the home of Catherine Cook, which is where he managed to get himself the rest of the way out of his restraints. Yeah, it's like that scene in the heist movie where you go find your friend that owns bolt cutters and <laughs> get them to <laughs> knock your shackles off. Sometime after that, Shepard robbed a pawn shop of some very fine clothes, and once he was dressed in them, he went out drinking. Again, not the smartest move. He was arrested at a Drury Lane brandy shop, very inebriated, on October 31st. Shepard was once again returned to the prison, and at this point, he was really famous. People lined up at the prison to try to get a glimpse of him. And the guards actually charged fees for visitors, reportedly earning 200 pounds by doing so. Some of his reported visitors were also famous, like past podcast subject William Hogarth, whose idol Prentice from his series Industry and Idleness is supposedly inspired by Shepard. Shepard's fame continued all the way up and then after his execution, which was on November 16, 1724, at the age of 22. That execution took place before an enormous crowd. Estimates range all the way from 30,000 to 200,000 people. There are some really sensational accounts of his hanging. Shepard is pretty consistently described as being a very small man, and that was something that helped him squeeze his way out during various escape attempts. In one account of the execution, people were hoping that his small frame would help him survive the hanging. And once he had been cut down after hanging for the required 15 minutes, maybe he could be resuscitated. But the crowd, unaware of this plan to try to get his body and resuscitate him, rushed the gallows and pulled at his feet to try to make sure he died quickly and didn't suffer. His body was buried at the churchyard at St. Martin in the Fields. Elizabeth Lyon was kept in custody until after the execution. Once she was freed, she had a series of relationships with other young men that echoed her relationship with Shepard. They were part romantic, part criminal. Accounts again describe her as, quote, seducing the men into stealing and hurrying them to their own destruction. Again, she was not responsible for these men's decisions. No, it's the whole kind of trope of her being the evil seductress who lured innocent young men to their mortal doom. Lyon was eventually sentenced to seven years' transportation to Maryland in 1726. We don't really know what happened to her after that. 
Jack's brother Thomas was transported to Maryland as well, although there are some contradictions about exactly when. In some accounts, it was in 1725, so after his brother's death. And in others, it was before Jack's execution, and he begged for a chance to tell his brother goodbye, in the end, being allowed to see him only from a distance so that there was not any chance he would smuggle his brother or something he might use to escape, like the saws that people kept bringing to him. <laughs> Circling back to Jonathan Wild, he was executed on May 24th, 1725, his work bringing in thieves not really canceling out all the crimes that he was committing himself. People started writing plays and stories about Jack Shepard even before his execution. As we noted at the top of the show, there were a bunch of books about him that were published in 1724 and 1725. Some of them purportedly factual, some of them definitely fictional. In 1728, The Beggar's Opera opened at Lincoln Inn Fields Theater in London with characters that had been inspired by people like Jack Shepard and Jonathan Wilde. Another play was called The Prison Breaker, and there were a lot of other stories and plays and songs and works of art, poems, anything you can think of to depict this famous thief and jailbreaker, there was one. But then Jack Shepard had a whole second wave of fame that came more than 100 years later, and we're going to talk about that after we first pause for a sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel 
for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. When Jack Shepard was alive in the 1720s, crime and the fear of crime were widespread in England. Some of our recent podcast subjects were connected to all of this. The South Sea bubble collapsed just a couple of years before Shepard committed his first theft. The gin craze and the moral panic surrounding alcohol and its connection to crime, that was starting to grow. Increasing urbanization and overcrowding were exacerbating existing social and economic issues. And as is obvious based on how many people were hanged for theft or transported to the colonies earlier in this episode, the government was using really extreme public punishments to try to deter petty crimes. This was a system that later became known as the Bloody Code. At the same time, though, a lot of people were really fascinated with things like robberies and jailbreaks and highwaymen and gangs of thieves and the news reporting of the actual crimes and fiction about all of this. Like, all of that was incredibly popular. A hundred years later, some of this was starting to shift. In 1837, the death penalty was abolished for all but the most serious crimes, so nobody was going to get hanged over stealing bolts of cloth anymore. But two years after that, the criminal code started to expand in a way that increasingly criminalized poor people's lives. Things like selling animals on the streets, selling goods door-to-door, just being noisy, being drunk in public, announcing entertainments on the street, and playing games on public roads were all outlawed. These kinds of laws disproportionately affected poor people whose homes tended to be too small and cramped to really do any socializing indoors. Poor people were doing most of their socializing outside, and increasingly, the things that they did outside were also outlawed. To add to all of that, the Metropolitan Police was established in 1839 and absorbed all the other organizations and jobs that had previously handled things like apprehending people accused of crime. The shifts in the legal code also really empowered the Metropolitan Police to carry out surveillance. There was a lot of language about their proactively noticing and taking action to prevent crimes. So understandably, poor people, especially poor people living in cities, thought they were being unfairly harassed and targeted by police for just 
living their lives. Many of the social and political issues that had been at work in the 1730s were still ongoing a hundred years later, and that fed into the Chartist movement beginning in 1836. The Chartists were trying to secure more political power and better conditions for people in the working class. Authorities mostly ignored or suppressed the Chartist activity, which led to unrest, which was also quickly and sometimes violently suppressed. So then, with all of that going on, in 1839, William Harrison Ainsworth started serially publishing a romance called Jack Shepard. This is in a publication called Bentley's Miscellany. It had woodcut illustrations by George Cruikshank, and it quickly became a bestseller, even outselling Charles Dickinson's Oliver Twist. Jack Shepard and Oliver Twist were both part of a newly flourishing genre that came to be known as Newgate novels. These were books that were seen as glorifying criminals and a criminal underworld. At first, this wasn't really seen as a huge problem. Bentley's Miscellany had a middle-class readership, and it was too expensive for poorer people to afford. Even when Jack Shepard was printed as a book in three volumes, it was still priced for the middle class. Each volume cost a pound five shillings. That was just too much for poorer readers. Within the middle class, this whole story was seen as mostly harmless, although possibly a little bit trashy as a pleasure read. But then there were the plagiarized versions and the alternate versions and the plays, many of which were much cheaper and some of which were specifically aimed at poor and working class people. At one point, there were at least seven different versions of Jack Shepard's story running at London's playhouses and penny gaffs, which were basically small theaters specifically for poor people. Suddenly, poor people could afford to buy and read a knockoff version of the Jack Shepard story, and poor people who couldn't read could just take it in at a penny gaff. Particularly in London, the more affluent class started completely freaking out, thinking that the popularity of Jack Shepard was going to spark an enormous crime wave. There is a bit of irony here, right, that this happened as various reformers were championing this idea of literacy for the poor, so it quickly became like, poor people should be reading to expand their knowledge. No, don't read that, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> There were a lot of newspaper articles about the supposed threat of Jack Shepard. Chambers' Edinburgh Journal wrote, quote, It is scarcely possible for the life of Jack Shepard to be read all at once by thousands and acted night after night at once in five London theaters without causing the idea of burglary to be dwelt upon for the time with some degree of fervor. At one point... Somebody stole a snuff box from actor Paul Bedford, who had been playing Shepard's sidekick Blueskin in a play at the Adelphi Theater. An article in the Morning Chronicle about this did some victim blaming, saying that the actor, quote, might to some extent thank himself for what had happened. The very able manner in which he personated a thief on the stage had induced many a poor wretch who witnessed his performance from the gallery to try his hand at something of the kind in real life. Papers reported on petty crimes with headlines like Another Jack Shepard and Another Young Jack Shepard. There were books with these names too. Sometimes when people were arrested for various crimes, they gave their name as Jack Shepard. There were so many Jack Shepherds. And uh, have we mentioned 
one of my favorite things. There was merch. Oh, I want to make some of this merch. People could buy shepherd bags, which contained lockpicks and files and perhaps even a crowbar. Basically, your starter kit for becoming a Jack Shepherd. <laughs> this moral panic about Jack Shepherd was already underway when a Swiss valet named Francois Corvassier slit the throat of his employer, Lord William Russell, on May 5th of 1840. At the time, Russell was 71 and asleep in his bed, so obviously this was a horrifying crime on its own. And then he was also from a really prominent family. He was a politician and had been a member of Parliament, and his nephew, Lord John Russell, would later become Prime Minister. Courvoisier's behavior seemed erratic, and he made a series of sometimes contradictory confessions to this crime. At one point, he said that, quote, the idea was first suggested to him by reading and seeing the performance of Jack Shepard. Some quotes him by saying, I admired his cunning instead of being horrified at it, and now I reap but too well the fruit of those papers and books. After he made this confession, newspapers that had previously predicted that all this Shepard hype was going to cause problems printed articles that basically said, I told you so. Ainsworth faced a huge backlash. His publisher dropped him. His club kicked him out. The press excoriated him, and random people accosted him about having written this Jack Shepard book on the street. After Courvoisier was executed for the murder of Lord William Russell, the Lord Chamberlain banned all performances of all plays called Jack Shepard, a ban that was in place for 40 years. It was most strictly observed in London, but it was also observed to at least some extent elsewhere in Britain as well. Some companies tried to get around this ban by telling the story but naming their shows things like The Idle Apprentice. In 1886, after the ban had been lifted, Nellie Farron starred as Jack in a burlesque called Little Jack Shepherd. Farron wasn't the only woman to play Jack because he was described as such a physically slight man. He was often played by women. In an era when child labor laws kept children from working as actors, it was pretty common for women to hold the role of principal boy. A lot of times the principal boy would then be the person who played Jack Shepard, even though that was an adult role. Another woman to play Jack Shepard was Marianne Keeley, who learned some escape artistry for the role. Method acting! Jack Shepard's popularity started to wane at the very end of the 19th century, but he still shows up from time to time. Bertolt Brecht's 1928 three-penny opera was adapted from the Beggar's Opera, which, as we noted, was inspired by Shepard and his circle. And there are more recent works as well. In the 2018 novel Confessions of the Fox by Jordi Rosenberg, Jack is reimagined as a transgender man, this is told within a frame story of a professor discovering a previously unknown manuscript that contains Jack's memoirs, and the professor's own story is told through the footnotes. Yeah, I have not read this whole book, but I checked it out from the library, and I have read uh, just the beginning few chapters of it. And I will say, if you want to check this out, it is a very sexual book. Beyond having, like, sex scenes that are confined as scenes... There's just a sexuality that is infused through the whole thing. It reminds <laughs> me <present>. of reading. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, like, Tipping the Velvet by Sarah right. Waters in terms of, like, the level of um, just, 
I'm not saying that to discourage people, but I like for me personally that there's a mindset I need to be in if that's what I'm going to be reading. Right. I I love a heads up that that's what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um just just so folks know and I uh, it's gotten like it was really well reviewed and uh, award winning when it came out. So uh, at some point I'm sure I will finish reading it. I have some listener mail to take us out and uh, this is from listener Matt who wrote a note that said, Good afternoon. I've recently started a history podcast. I just released my second episode. However, I'm not exactly happy with the end product thus far. Do you have any tips or tricks for someone new to podcasting? Matt, back when we used to have our own, like, standalone website that we had uh, stuff on besides, like, a way to play episodes... We had a cool, like, tips for new podcasters thing. And since we don't have that website anymore, I thought I would say what the tips were. <laughs> uh, which, these are the things that I usually f- uh, tell folks when they ask for some kind of advice. Number one, NPR has a whole training section. It is at training.npr.org. Some of it is focused on specifically radio, but a lot of that is clearly applicable to podcasts also. Transom is at transom.org, and they have a ton of information about storytelling for audio and audio production, all kinds of stuff like that. They produce the How Sound podcast, which is a podcast about audio storytelling, and they have a tools section if people have questions about, like, what kind of equipment should I have for doing a podcast PRX also has training.prx.org. That more has classes and things that a person could sign up for more than like things that you could read online and and self-educate yourself. As for the audio editing of the podcast, boy, I do not know because that's not something that I personally handle. Our producer, Casey Pegram, does the audio edit on the show. This particular episode was edited by our colleague, producer Max Williams. So that is what I would suggest for folks who are interested in learning about audio storytelling more generally and and podcasts and radio production more specifically. If you would like to get in touch with us. We're at HistoryPodcasts at iHeartRadio.com. We're all over social media at Missed in History. That's where you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on the iHeartRadio app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. 